Would you turn with me to Psalm 20? Psalm 20. If you're new with us, we are in a sermon series now in Psalms. We picked it up and over the last month, and we're taking a Psalm a Sunday. We're at Psalm 20. Pastor Mike will be preaching next week on Psalm 90. He's jumping ahead there as he kind of kicks us off and helps us think rightly as we enter into the new year. So be in prayer for Mike, and I encourage you to be meditating on Psalm 90. It's a great beginning of the year psalm. And then the following week, we'll be back in Psalm 21, Lord willing. Psalm 20, if you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take a Bible in front of, front of you and one of the chairs in front of you. And if you don't own one, we, we invite you to take one as a gift and, and use it. Another Old Testament passage that is, it's just, it's just amazing, is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Not sure how much of Chronicles you've read, but I encourage you, I give you homework to read what I'm actually going to kind of highlight on at the beginning this morning for you to read it and ponder it as you ponder Psalm 20 this morning. Psalm 2 Chronicles 20 tells of an amazing story of one of Judah's kings, Jehoshaphat. This is a time when things are not good in the land of promise, in Judah and in Jerusalem. God's people are divided into Judah and Israel. Israel has already been destroyed, and here we have Jehoshaphat, and he faces pending doom by the other nations who have come against him, the Moabites and the Ammonites and all these other nations, a multitude that is surrounding and is about to destroy this city and this king, this godly king, Jehoshaphat. He was in the day of trouble. It said that he was afraid. And so what did he do when he was afraid? He set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of the land. And the people of Judah assembled to seek the help of the Lord. And from all the cities they gathered, they came to seek the Lord. And it says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, he prayed this prayer, the king, O Lord, God of our fathers, Are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And he goes on and he declares the goodness of God in his track record in Israel. And he says in verse 10, And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir and all who would invade, they've come from the land of Egypt. He says this, he says, O our God, verse 12, Will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against you, us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, if you're a Bible underliner, that's one that I had to underline, and I think you need to as well. God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Have you been there? If you're honest, you have. So all Judah stood before the king after he prayed this with little ones, they, their wives and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon a particular priest 
and he prophesied that God was going to give the deliverance. It would be a miracle. How is this going to happen? They don't have an army that can defeat this enemy camp that's against them. And it says here in verse 15, and he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and the And King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed of this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord your God on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then the king bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. They hadn't won yet. They'd been given the promise of God. And they worship. And they gave thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And it says in this chapter that the Lord gave the king and his people a great miraculous victory. And in verse 22 of this chapter it says, And when they began to sing and praise the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, so they were routed. This story reminds me of the psalm we have this morning. The psalm, Psalm 20, is of just nine verses. It's from David. It's to the choir master. It's to be sung by God's people. This passage begins and ends with a plea For God to answer in the day of trouble. Look there. You see it begins with answer me. It begins, it ends with a call for God to answer him. This passage says we are calling out to you and we need your answer. This passage cries out to God and it calls out for salvation or deliverance. We see that in verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 9. Save us. We need your salvation. This passage declares that this salvation only comes in the name of the Lord or the God of, of Jacob, in the name of the God of Jacob. The Lord, re- remember this, anytime in the Old Testament you have the word Lord in all capital letters, that is a special title for the name Yahweh, God. It is the special, intimate, personal name of God towards his people Israel. It literally means I am who I am or I will be who I will be. I am the always existing one. I never had a beginning. I will never have an end. He is absolute reality. He is utterly independent God. He never depends on anything else. Everything that is not God is utterly dependent on this Yahweh. All the universe is compared to him as nothing. He is the absolute constant. He is never changing. He is the absolute standard of 
truth, goodness, and beauty. He does whatever he pleases, and what he pleases is always right. It's always beautiful. It is always in accordance with truth. And this God made a covenant with his people. He gave them a relationship, and that covenant declared that he is steadfast love and grace and mercy, and yet he does not let the guilty go unpunished. This psalm, as we reflect on it, causes us to ask the question, where is my trust? Faith Church, where is your trust? If you're here visiting, I ask you, where are you putting your trust? We all trust in something. We might be feeling really anxious and we find that our trust in that whatever it is, is not doing a great job of comforting you, but where is your trust? I want you to see from this Psalm, Psalm 20, I want you to see the psalm from three different perspectives because I think reading it as a New Testament Christian, we need to do that. But to do that, we need to first understand what's going on in this unique and beautiful psalm, Psalm 20. First of all, we need to see that it's actually a, probably a pre-battle liturgy. And then it, I hope you see a prophecy of Jesus. But we also see a picture of salvation. I want you to see, first of all, the pre-battle liturgy of this passage. Um, we can read this psalm. Through, we know it's from David. It says here, we can read the psalm through the lenses of Second Chronicles 20 that I just summarized for you and read part of, and Jehoshaphat, the king. David may have written this for the people of Israel so that when he went to battle... They would gather and they would pray for him, the king. He was the chosen king of a theocracy. He was the king of God's choosing, his anointed one, in order to fight God's battles and to promote God's kingdom on the earth. And he wrote this with a pre-battle mindset, and there's a liturgy behind it. We say, what, what do you mean by a liturgy? A liturgy is just simply a form of worship. We do that every Sunday. We have a form which we call to worship, and then we sing a song, and then we confess our sins, and then we sing psalms, and we pray to God, and then we sit over God's words. Sometimes we have the Lord's Supper, and then we have a following concluding song, and then we have a benediction, and we go out in fellowship. And a good church will seek to have a type of liturgy that will help teach the people how to to think and to pray and to focus on the things of God, to ingrain it into our very depths of our heart. And David wrote this as a pre-battle liturgy. Now I want you to see the way this psalm flows. In verses 1 through 5, there are, there are three things happening in this psalm. Verses 1 through 5, the people of Israel gather and they cry out to God for blessings for their king. They're, it's almost like these... You imagine the, the nation of Israel gathering and a worship leader goes, see, see the, le, the bold letter on the PowerPoint? You all say this, verses 1 through 5, Israel. And they would declare verses 1 through 5. And then in verses 6 through 8, 
the king stands and, and reads or declares verses 6 through 8. And then at the end, imagine all the congregation crying out in verse 9 as they summarize their cry unto the Lord. So let's look at it. Congregation declaring this a blessing for their king David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you, King David. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. They basically say, God, would you bless this king who you're anointed, the man after your own heart, who is called to go and fight. He has gone to the sanctuary. He has confessed his sins. He has offered up worship. He has sought your wisdom and your guidance. He is seeking to depend on you. Now, God, would you bless him and fulfill your plan for this chosen king, King David? Imagine David now responding in verses 6 through 8. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. And then everyone together, O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when he calls. What a beautiful call. I can imagine this be David teaching his people. We trust in God. We fight battles, but it is God that must do the battling. It is God that does the work. There is something going on in this world beyond just ourselves. And that is a mighty, sovereign God over heaven and on earth. We can have all of the greatest weaponry. We can have an elite army in number and in weapons. But it means nothing unless the Lord our God is at our side. So, there it is. That's Psalm 20. It's a pre-battle liturgy. It is uh, God's people trusting in God as they look to their king to lead them into battle. So is that it? Is that is, is Psalm 20? It's beautiful psalm, beautiful language, beautiful poetry. Is this a, a neat historical archive of how God used his people at that time, Old Testament Israel, in their theocracy? Is this just a historic curiosity? And we would say, of course not. There is All scripture is given to us by God and is profitable. And I want you to see, as you read and read and rethink this passage, when you see this passage, you must see and gaze that you look beyond just David. 
having written this, giving it to his people. And David, the anointed king, the chosen king, being the one that delivers. I want you to see a prophecy of the Messiah. Ultimately, the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus. The word Christ means anointed. It means the Messiah. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 22, 44, after he had, descended, he had resurrected from the dead, before he was going to go back into heaven, he's walking with them on the way, several of them on the way, and he told them about the scriptures and the fulfillment of Jesus. And he said this, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me from the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. There are psalm after psalm, and especially these royal psalms that speak about the king that actually have a deeper meaning than even David fully grasped or understood. These psalms were pointing to not just David, but to a greater David, the, dis- the, the promised seed of David that would come whose kingdom would reign forever. The Psalms here are a prophecy. And as we see, and you could look in Acts chapter 2, verses 30 through 35, the apostle Peter interprets Psalm 110, Psalm 132, and he's saying these Psalms are pointing to Jesus I would say, so is this psalm. And when we get to Psalm 21 and Psalm 22, where Jesus actually quoted Psalm 22 on the cross as he's crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting scripture. He's fulfilling God's word. And as we read this psalm, we need to hear and pray for, we we need to hear the heart of Christ as he faces the day of trouble. David writes this knowing that God was going to bless his offspring. So we read this psalm and we think about this. Imagine Jesus comes and lives on earth. And maybe David was praying and writing this better than he ever knew as he's praying for his offspring. And this Messiah that will someday, God, will you answer this Messiah? This someday king who will come. And in his day of trouble, will you hear him? And will you protect him? And will you hear and fulfill all his desires? And would you bring shouts of joy of salvation? And would you set up banners for your people as they follow him into battle? I can imagine, because Jesus knew these psalms, and he knew that he was fulfilling these psalms as Jesus is on earth, living a perfect life and having a mission to go to Jerusalem and to lay down his life in obedience to the Father in order to make redemption for his people. Imagine Jesus putting on his lips, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer for him from his holy heaven. With the saving might of his right hand, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, not depending on his own Jesus, Messiah powers, but looking to the Father alone in order to deliver him. See, one of the 
truths that we find in the Old Testament, that we need to get this category, this understanding is, in the Old Testament, as we see in Psalm 20, in this pre-battle liturgy, is the welfare of the king of Israel in battle was very closely tied to the welfare of God's people. The welfare of God's people is found in the welfare of the king, who is greater. David, victory meant the people of Israel's victory. Just like when David, the champion, defeated Goliath. And all of Israel won in that. David was that representative warrior. And so, the way God was teaching his people, there was going to be another representative king. There was going to be another champion king who will come. And he will trust in the Lord his God. His enemies will collapse and fall, but in a way that would be much different. But he will rise and stand upright. Oh God, save the king. And this psalm, when we read this psalm, we must bow on our knees and say, Father, thank you for sending this king if I was in Old Testament Israel, I might shut, I might delight and quiver with delight at your victory over my enemy through my King David or King Jehoshaphat. But all of us can bow on our knees, lift up our eyes to the Lord and say, thank you that this victory came true, that you did save your anointed. You did answer Jesus in the day of trouble. You sustained him to be obedient unto, in the garden and unto death, and he defeated Satan. This psalm reminds us of Jesus and his victory over his enemies as he lives and perfectly obeys in life and in death. And he goes to the cross and he conquers his enemies by dying for their redemption. But I, lastly, I want you to see and dig our hearts and our minds into this reality that this psalm is like a picture of salvation. If you, if you take the psalm, and I encourage you, one of the ways you can week after week read these psalms in preparation for Sunday is to read them and read them over. Maybe even print them out on a sheet of paper and so you can mark up that page and mark up that psalm. That's one of the things I do. And you, can, you look to see if there are common themes and you do see some pretty common themes in this psalm. It begins and ends with, answer me, O God, verses 1 and 9. Throughout the psalm, the name of God is highlighted. Throughout this psalm, salvation is a theme. And I see in this psalm, we, I think we need to see in this psalm a picture of our salvation. A picture of how we are saved and how we not only get saved when we come to Christ and, and have our sins forgiveness and we become a child of God, but how we live in absolute dependence on God through Jesus Christ. And I want to point you to four essential truths of salvation in this passage. Salvation is our need, and it is only found in the name of God through the King to all who call on Him in faith. Four things. Number one, salvation is our need. It's our need. He says, would you save us in the day of trouble? This psalm says, I need salvation. 
I need it. You see that in this passage? He says, may we shout for joy of salvation. He says, the Lord saves the anointed. Oh, save the king. Our enemies are far greater than just a foreign nation invading us. Our enemies are sin. Our sin, sin is our greatest enemy. It is the most despicable reality in this world and in our lives. Satan hates his people, hates God's people, hates the church, wants to sow in us division and unbelief, pride and arrogance. Satan wants to destroy us. And all of this, this enemy lurks in the depths of every heart in this room. We need his saving might. And verse 9 says, O Lord, save. The wages of sin is death. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, I want you to know that you need a saving. You need salvation. There is no greater need than anyone us one of us has, and that to have our sins forgiven and be rescued, the wages of sin and death, it is, we will be judged, and will we be ready? We need this rescue. Salvation is our need. Believer, if you have looked to Christ, he saved you. But believer, if you are a Christian, you need to continue to look to him for daily deliverance against your sin, not in order to get you justified again, but each day, and I hope, I, I trust that you feel it, because I've talked with you, I've heard you, I, together we have prayed, we have cried out to God, we all need God's help, his deliverance in our lives. And this psalm is a cry for us to say, God, even today, I need your saving, not justifying, but I need your rescuing me today. I need you to help me to look to you to be saved. You are my salvation. And Faith Church, you are a, a body. You are a family. And you are to look at one another in this room and to pray for each other, one, one another in this room, with a mindset that says, they need saving and I need to show grace to them. I need to pray for them. I don't know their hour of day of trouble that they're experiencing, but that day of trouble is coming or has come and is happening in some in this room. And oh God, help me to be sensitive to be someone that comes along with them and helps them look to God for this salvation in our time of need. But not only is salvation our need, it's, we find in the psalm that that salvation in, that we have need is is found in the name of God. It's in the name of God. See the prominence of his name in this passage? Verse 1, may the name of God. He's, he says, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. In the name of God, we set up our banners, verse 5. Some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The name of God is not some magical incantation that I say, name. I, I said Yahweh, 
and then something magical happens. I said Jesus, and something magical happens. No, it is to represent the fact that in his character, in his promises, who he is and what he has said he would do for us, that when we call on our salvation in his name, it's in his promises, his character. When we, call, we trust in the name of God, we call out to him. Our world so desperately needs. We, we can lament and be frustrated by how bad it is in America in, in rejection of God and Christ. We can be upset by politics. We can be upset by mandates. We can be upset by different things, the way culture has eroded in so many ways that are contrary to God's word. Oh, what they need to see more than anything is the power of God's name and the lives of believers who believe in the name of God, who rest in his character and trust in his promises. They need people that in the midst of all the chaos, we trust in the name of our God and they see it. We're not like them. We're not like them in that we are not running in anxiety, but we're looking up in faith. Salvation is from this God who's promised to be for us. He's going to say here, he says, some trust in chariots and horses. Those are the greatest weapons of the day, of David's day. And we could say some trust in doctors for medical help. And we praise God for good doctors and medicine and treatment. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust, some trust in money and investments and insurance. All of those that can be a blessing and good, but not the source of our trust. But we trust in his name and what he has promised. The name of God has come to us and revealed himself to us as a God who is absolutely holy and will always keep his word and righteous. And he made a way for us to be righteous through his son. Which leads to the third point here of a picture of salvation. It is through his king. The way God saves is by his name, his character, but through his king. Through his son, Jesus Christ. We, we find this ringing through the news. New Testament, like Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no other name, in no one else, for there is no other name above heaven or under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. Or in Acts chapter 10, he commanded, it says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge and the living and the dead, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Who? The king's name, Jesus Christ. Remember what the angel said to Joseph? She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means God's my salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh, our world needs to see a Jesus-centered people. We need to point each other to Jesus. It is in Jesus. God's promises are yes through Jesus Christ. 
all, from old to new, we declare and love and delight in the truths that this book revealed to us. And it is always pointing us to God's promised Messiah who is the seed of that woman Eve. The seed who will come and destroy the serpent, Satan, and sin. This Jesus has come. He is the king. His kingdom will have no end, the prophecy of Isaiah 9 says. And so we live in the light of it. We are Christians today, baptized in his name, the name of Jesus. And we live as baptized trusters in this name. And we go and we live knowing that this king will not lose. He gives salvation to anyone who bows the knee and looks to him. And that leads us to that last point, to who gets it? Who gets to be saved in the time of need through the name of God by his king? Well, to all who have call on him in faith. That's what this psalm models to us. He says, answer me in the day of trouble. Answer when I call. We see that Psalm 20 is a call of absolute dependence, and so is the way of salvation. For the first time of getting saved and for the 10,000th time of living the Christian life, I depend on you. I'm devoted to you, but I'm dependent on you. I need you, God. Answer me in the day of trouble. You need to protect me by your name. Would you rescue and come near to me? This is the, the, the call of God's people that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray that as we end this year, as we continue this holiday season, that we would, we would have the, the words, the song of Psalm 20 on our hearts. Oh, we go into battle spiritually. In some ways, Psalm 20 can become a benediction of God's people for each other. As we say, may God protect us and may God keep us in the day of trouble. But it is all in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who this psalm is pointing us to and directing us to as we say, God, you answer us through Jesus Christ. May we go and be his people, dependent and devoted to the king who's Name, we have our life. We have our salvation. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. We're gonna, we're gonna end this service with a song of response of, of faith in God. A song of expression that declares, God, trust you. Father, I, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, I pray that they would be saved this morning. And I'm talking to anyone here this morning, if you have never called on the name of the Lord and asked him to save you, if you never turned from your sins and believed in him, I pray for you right now. God, would you help them? him or her. God, if there's anyone here this morning that is just, they're, they're saved, but they're in the day of trouble, I pray that you would help them to trust in the name of the Lord, their God. God, would you help us to live out these words, 
make these words the truth and meditation of our hearts as we help and point one another to you. In Jesus' name, amen.